We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, we're still celebrating the Monroe Doctrine, the Monroe Doctrine, the extraordinary uh, foreign policy achievement. Uh, and the, And I got to tell you. There is something about the modern experience uh, of how media works and how ideas travel. Um, you know, you listen on the Pro-America Report. Maybe you're listening on the radio in San Diego and St. Louis where we're on or the podcast or the standalone link. Or, you know, I, I try to work hard to be on X in a big way and other social media. And maybe that's where you hear it. And maybe it's your own email list. I got a Substack, ProAmericaReport.com. So the ProAmerica Report has got this ability. I've seen it. I was listening to a podcast of a of a couple of people that I know uh, follow me, and they were talking about the narrative machine. You might have heard that before. I've been using it for years. Narrative machine, big money, big big, big government, big uh, media, big tech. They use it just that way. Um, uh, and by the way, I did add a fourth one to the support. It's a four legged stool. Uh, the narrative machine, actually, it's uh, big big government, big media, big tech. And big business. Uh, it's a factor, big factor. Anyway, but I hear these, I hear this thing spread. Well, uh, earlier in the week, we've been talking about the Monroe Doctrine. I've been doing multiple segments on it, interviews. There was a hearing of the House Affairs, uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, and Chairman McCall brought up the uh, Monroe Doctrine and talked about the bicentennial, the Monroe Doctrine. Now, maybe his staff is on top of it, maybe, but I can tell you about four hours before that hearing, I made an appearance on Bannon's War Room, Steve Bannon's War Room, and Steve and I talked for 15 or 20 minutes about the Monroe Doctrine, and I got more attention. I don't know if you uh, watch the uh, the War Room or listen to it. Uh, a lot, a lot of people do. I do as regularly as I can. Uh, my one thing with Steve, uh, they create so much content. It's so much. It's almost like a, a fire hose, and you got to find your way to the pieces that you you, you know you're kind of uh, interested in or working on. But be that as it may. The people that listen and follow and watch, they pay attention. And in the swamp, which Steve's uh, war room uh, headquarters uh, the, is in the swamp. It's a few blocks from the Capitol. And and uh, I'll tell you, the swamp staff, people that work in these offices, they watch this. I'm Republicans, obviously conservatives, America first people, not, not the Democrats. I don't know. Maybe the Democrats do, too. But anyway, so I was not surprised to see Congressman Chairman McCall bring up the Monroe Doctrine not at all. And I'm not taking total credit, but I'm just saying nobody else, as far as I can tell, was, was hammering away on the celebration bicentennial of the Monroe Doctrine that is happening, that is happening on December 2nd, 
2023 on Saturday. And uh, so I'm glad people did it. Now, a couple things. One, we did have a celebration in uh, the swamp uh, over at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles headquarters in Washington, D.C. It's also up on Capitol Hill, kind of behind uh, the uh, Supreme Court also, not not very far from uh, the Bannon War Room uh, headquarters. And we had a great group of people uh, came to celebrate. We had a toast to the Monroe Doctrine, to James Monroe, to John Quincy Adams. We had senior folks with the Trump campaign, senior folks in the House and Senate, uh, senior folks uh, in, uh, I guess you'd say, public policy. Uh, let me see about judiciary. Do we have any clerks? I guess we have one clerk. Um, so it was a great gathering, informal in the sense that there wasn't a formal program, because, you know, in that kind of setting up on that, in that neck of the woods, people drop by. They come in for a few minutes and they can only stay for half an hour. And so we started about 1130 and went until um, two o'clock. Oh, by the way, another footnote here, uh, talking about the Monroe Doctrine all week. And I get a call from Iowa, a friend of mine who runs a radio station out there. He says, hey, we haven't had you on in a few months. Can you come on and talk Monroe Doctor? And I said, you bet. Giddy up. That's what we're doing. So uh, anyway, we had this great event, great celebration. Uh, and we were reminded by the Trump campaign guy that uh, Trump in September of 2017 went to the U.N. And at the, in front of the U.N. said, um, yeah, look, five or six years ago, uh, when, uh, when, uh, uh, maybe four years before that, I guess the, the dates, I got to think about the dates for a second. When, um, uh, John Kerry as secretary of state said the Monroe doctrine is dead. Yeah. He didn't know what he was talking about. It, it's totally alive. It's invigorated. Uh, its validity is, is as strong as it ever was. And so we were reminded of that. It's a great speech. It's a great speech at the UN because it's, it's the first time President Trump went to the UN since winning for president. Uh, and it's a very good speech, very hard hitting and, and important. But the Monroe Doctrine was right at the center of it, right at the center of it. Oh, I, I almost forgot. The president of the James Monroe Foundation, uh, Bill Thomas, came up from Richmond. Bill Thomas has been uh, chairman, I think, for 10 years of the James Monroe Foundation, which has been instrumental in raising the money to uh, completely uh, rehab and uh, and uh, build out the James Monroe birthplace, which is down about uh, an hour and a half uh, south of Fredericksburg and sort of about probably an hour and a half from Richmond also. Uh, Bill Thomas is an attorney who served in uh, uh, the uh, Republican administrations, and he's he's been a, a, a presence in the Virginia uh, political scene for a long time and in policy too, but he's been heading up. So he came. So we were at the actual James Monroe Foundation president uh, at our celebration uh, and part of it, which was extraordinary and exciting. And he clued us into some events that will be upcoming next year, which we'll talk about. And he and I agreed we're going to do more even than we've done in the past to uh, highlight James Monroe, his life and his legacy and what he did. So that was very cool. So here's how I want to sort of finish the week as we're celebrating the bicentennial. As I started talking about this, I had more and more people come forward and talk about aspects of the Monroe Doctrine. For example, uh, Colonel John Mills, a retired colonel from uh, uh, the Army who, who served at the highest levels of intelligence uh, before he retired and, and wrote a couple of books, really important books, on uh, what's going on. He has a, uh, a substack, and his substack is on the precisely, but let me see, it's Colonel, it's Colonel R.E.T. John. Is the Substack, and I'll put it up on social media. But he, his, the title of it is, is "If you like the Ukraine, Ukraine war, you're going to love this one." And he's talking about Venezuela and Guyana in South, um, in South America. And he opens up with this: "The failure of enforcing the Monroe Doctrine is coming home to roost." Ed Martin of the Eagle Forum Educational Legal Defense Fund convened a timely gathering 
and to and appeared on the war room. And he goes into this and he basically says Venezuela is acting as a proxy for the communist Chinese and trying to get their foot uh, foot into uh, neighboring Guyana. And he goes into this long article. My point is this. The, the Monroe Doctrine, when you understand the and I'm going to just hammer this down to three aspects for simplicity, because I've been talking about it so much this week and doing short radio interviews. One, the objection of the Monroe Doctrine is foreign powers coming into our hemisphere because their system is incompatible with ours. So we don't really have a problem with the French government uh, buying some real estate. They're not incompatible with our existence. They don't have a, a strategy stated that they're going to come and take over America. Uh, you know, so that that's why it's the system. The systems, the two systems, like the best examples are the one system is communist China. They're, they, they are inc- incompatible with America succeeding, America thriving. And the other is jihadist Islam. And that if you want to object to the border crisis for only one reason, they have to say that someone you know holds a gun to your head and says, what's the one reason the border? It should be that we're introducing some really bad dudes or we have the likelihood we are. And, and the reports are that we are. Todd Benzman of the Center for Immigration Studies says uh, and wrote a book on that. So that's number one. It's about a system that comes into our hemisphere to threaten us. Number two, it's not uh, we're not going to engage in other people's business unless our own interests are impacted. That's an important part of the Monroe Doctrine. James Monroe was sort of saying to Europe and to Russia, hey, we don't get into your fights unless it impacts our interests or menaces our interests. Use that word. So there's a limiting factor in this that is a sort of America first, but putting our interests first. We will and we may have to fight a war, a world war. We may get drawn into it. But until when you, you, you we're not going to just be involved in everything. It's a powerful thing. And the third thing is this, is it's relevant today. It's relevant today. It's a matter of building the frame with those two principles, the two aspects of the frame, and then applying it to not rejecting it as antiquated. Historical stuff, the current woke Marxist, you know, hateful, evil, anti, uh, you know, anti-Christian, anti-religion, atheist groups, people that are trying to do, they want to take away history. And they want to say, if you invoke history and learn from it, there's something wrong with you. You should be focused on what you know and how you feel and what's it. No, these historical, it's a framework that can be bolstering for us, sort of like a uh, exoskeletal system. And it can teach us. We can understand the Cuban Missile Crisis. We can understand the early 20th century concerns about the Bolsheviks and, and concerns about the, even before the Soviet Union had, had, had really become clear. And so we have to do the same thing now, and we have to be creative about understanding the principles, the history, how it works, be fearless about that truth, and then apply it to things like TikTok. We have to apply it to things like the Panama Canal. Look, look, we gave the Panama Canal back to Panama, and they've sold it off to the highest bidder, mostly China. And we have to figure out how our principles apply to this problem, because it's a major problem. So happy bicentennial to the great Monroe Doctrine. Thank you for celebrating. we got to take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Don't forget to go to ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there with those emails and phyllisschlafly.com also. Be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, Very interesting uh, to catch up with our next guest. We talked with her a few weeks, uh, maybe maybe more than that now. Time flies. Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. She's retired uh, from law enforcement, but she's serving as the spokesman of the National Police Association. If you go to nationalpolice.org, you can see their work and what they're doing. Uh, Very helpful. You can subscribe to their uh, email list and uh, where they are educating supporters of law enforcement standing against anti-police rhetoric is a tagline on the front page. Oh, welcome back, Sergeant. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks so much for uh, well, for having me. It has not, been such a busy time. It is. You're nice. You're great to be out here as a voice uh, coming out of law enforcement yourself and then working. Um, the news we were reacting off of is the, uh, I think it was the New York Post, um, had this story that New York City has is going to cancel the next five police academy classes um, and the fourth highest number of co- cops have retired from NYPD. Um, uh, you know, what's going on here? I mean, when why isn't this a front page story across the country? I mean, we, are we just giving up on New York? Well, and it seems like it, doesn't it? Because, yeah. you know, the the New York City Police Department is the largest police department in this country. But the problem that they have in New York is um, a couple of things. One, I mean, for the last three and a half years, they have been absolutely bleeding police officers. They have had record numbers of retirements and resignations. And now with uh, the uh, migrant crisis created by Eric Adams insistence that uh, he the New York be a, uh, a sanctuary, sanctuary city. city yeah. You know, they're having to defer, uh, you know, to defer, uh, divert funds from things like the police budget. And they're having to cancel academy classes. They're also having a hard time getting enough qualified people um, to apply. You know, they had a really terrific commissioner in uh, uh, Commissioner Keyshant, uh Sewell's and she got into it with Eric Adams. They really didn't see eye to eye because um, Commissioner Sewell's was a very kind of a no nonsense pro cop kind of commissioner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she decided to, uh, to resign. And that, I think that's left a big leadership hole in the NYPD. Uh, again, uh, we're, uh, we're talking about uh, with Sergeant uh, Betsy Smith retired uh, about what's happening in law enforcement. Again, nationalpolice.org is the website of the organization that she's a spokesman for right now. Um, again, educating about law enforcement and uh, standing against anti police rhetoric. Um, I have a quick anecdotal story. A friend of mine is a, is a uh, retired cop in a medium-sized municipality in, in northern New Jersey. And he was describing that usually when they go out, it's, it's kind of a, a soft job. It's a nice job. It's a nice life. Go out for a, a vacancy. They'll have 150 applicants. He said they had 12. Because, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, he's, I said, why? And he said, nobody wants to deal with this, uh, deal with this uh, rhetoric. I hate to say it, uh, Sergeant. But, you know, defund the police. You don't actually have to defund them if you can make it so no one wants to do the job. You know, you just hit the nail on the head when you vilify a profession, when you convince 
young people, when you convince communities of color, when you convince voters that somehow the American law enforcement officer is the root of all evil, then you don't have to defund them because nobody's going to want to take that job. And that is what is happening. Uh, you know, as NYPD is, tr- they're trying to replace 3,000 uniformed officers who have retired or quit since 2019. That is a huge gap in personnel. And what do, what do those uniformed cops do? They answer 911 calls. Right, right. You know, it, it seems to me, so Eric Adams, I, I thought, was positioning himself to be um, different than some of these Democrats. He was going to try to to be, I mean, he was himself law enforcement, um, and, and I, it looked like after he resisted some of the, the Biden policies that he was sort of attacked or, you know, they they, they drug up, uh, they, they, they brought forth some woman that was 30 years ago, uh, allegations and all. But you, you from the standpoint of y- your view, uh, again, Sergeant Smith, the spokesman for the National Police Association, it, is he doing better than most mayors? Is he doing worse? Is he is he I, I, I hear you when you say his sanctuary city status is ridiculous. They they should stop that and things would change. It feels almost like he can't get that stopped. And he's doing the one thing that's almost like a protest. I mean, it's not going to help the city. It's going to lead to death and violence. But uh, what else can he do? Well, he tried to run on a bit of a law and order platform when he ran and he ran as a a former cop. But then when he got elected, he went back to the far left. And and quite frankly, Eric Adams was not uh, the best police officer uh, that the NYPD ever had. He wasn't very popular with his peers. He wasn't very popular as a, a supervisor and manager. And in fact, he's on a video saying some pretty racist things about how he wanted to take on white crackers and things like that when he was with the NYPD. And he, unfortunately, when he got elected, embraced this sanctuary city status and started taking in all these migrants. And quite frankly, he really didn't manage that process very well. He did step back. And right when he was poised to go testify before the legislature in Washington, D.C., all of a sudden he started getting investigated by federal authorities. And there is some talk of corruption in his campaign. And now, again, there is this uh, sexual uh, harassment and sexual assault claim that is coming forward. And he's in a conundrum because... The left tells us we must believe all women. Remember, hashtag yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but he, but he, we're being told not to believe that this woman. Yeah, yeah, not this, uh, not this one. It's a good <laughs> point. It's a good point. Um, uh, the um, so uh, again, uh, we're we're speaking with uh, Sergeant Betsy Brander Smith, retired law enforcement herself, uh, and is now the spokesman for the National Police Association. Let me go to the th- sort of third rail of this whole story. Um, you know, across this country, we still have people. Who are um, who are willing to uh, to get out there and to talk uh, as if George Floyd was a hero, and we have the situation where Derek Chauvin is stabbed in in prison, where he is. I, I you know, it's one thing to say that people don't like you when you're a cop in some parts of the city or county or something. It's another thing to watch this uh, happen. I mean, it, it, it's it seems to me it's a it's a sort of 
existential crisis for the for our republic if we can't get this right. Well, what's coming out now? And I live in Tucson, Arizona, where Eric Chauvin uh, was in a medium security federal prison and was indeed stabbed by whom we don't know. And he remains in the hospital. But a couple of things are coming out. There's a lawsuit by a prosecutor from the Hennepin County Prosecutor's Office, a former prosecutor. And in her sexual harassment lawsuit, she did a deposition where she talks about uh, the George Floyd autopsy. And she talks about how Dr. Baker, who performed the initial autopsy, came to her and expressed concern that the results of the autopsy were not matching the public narrative that George Floyd was murdered by Officer Derek Chauvin and three other police officers. You also have. The new documentary called The Fall of Minneapolis done uh, by uh, Liz Collin, who is an outstanding journalist uh, from the city of Minneapolis. And this documentary features police officers from the city of Minneapolis, uh, the autopsy uh, body cam that was never shown at trial. So all of this is coming into play as we go into a, an election year where I believe that the political left feels like they need to continue to vilify law enforcement so that people continue to vote for the far left anti-cop anti-crime victim pro-criminal policies that we now have in the United States. It's going to be a very interesting time for all of us to watch. Hmm. Well, uh, Sergeant Betsy Brander-Smith, thank you for uh, retired Sergeant Law Enforcement. Thank you for being out there and having your voice, uh, uh, one of the voices weighing in. Uh, she's a spokesman for the National Police Association, nationalpolice.org. There's a lot of uh, there over there on that website to learn and understand what's going on and be more informed. Thank you for the time, Sergeant. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. We will put our links up on social media. Very helpful. And uh, there's a lot there. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We haven't talked to him in a few weeks. It's probably been longer, actually. John Zadrozny is over at America First Legal, AFlegal.org. His, his title's changed a couple times. He's a lawyer. He's the, I think, the chief uh, investigator. I, he, he does a lot of different work and feeds uh, stuff for me to read about and see and very helpful. So welcome back, John. How are you? I'm great, Ed. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, it's good to have you on. And what we were really catching up on is in the last couple of days, there was, in fact, another House hearing. We only hear about we only hear about stuff the media wants to tell us. But there was a hearing up there on Capitol Hill, House Foreign Affairs on the border crisis. Some of the folks that work with America First Legal were up there. First of all, tell me, you know, you're a pretty astute observer of Congress. How, was it effective? What was covered? Uh, you know, what, what's your thoughts? I think overall, Ed, it was a very good hearing. Uh, I want to thank Chairman McCall for holding it and bringing the issue out and getting a lot of his the, the other members on the team to come out and talk about the importance of immigration enforcement. Um, you know, you've got the usual claptrap from the Democrat officials who were aghast at an effective immigration system. I and mean, they, they gave my boss, uh, Gene Hamilton, uh, he's the vice president general counsel of America First Legal and also former acting secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. They gave them hell for doing their jobs, and they were real jerks to them, in my opinion. But they held their own and did a fantastic job of laying out exactly 
how you have an effective immigration system, what you don't do, what you must do. And they were they were probably the best witnesses I've seen in a federal hearing in a long time uh, because of what. Yeah, but John, let me ask you. One, let me get one your opinion on one thing. And John yeah. Drozny, a lawyer as well as a investigator, writes reports, lots of different things. The last few years, especially immersed in this stuff, um, it seems to me that what you saw reveals why Hunter Biden wanted to be testify in public. Meaning that these these hearings, when they're in public, they've got to give the opposite. It's not about getting information; it's about grandstanding on on the opposition side. Look, and we're, when when Republicans are in the minority, they they do the same thing to some extent because you you don't get to control the witnesses, you don't get to control the timing. Uh, all you do is you get your five minutes or six minutes. It feels like that's what Hunter was seeking, and in some ways, sort of half of what was going on yesterday is just grandstanding, right? Uh, yes, that is true. And unfortunately, some of the Republican members, some of them were really good and were really interested in, in what. You know, for, they were probing with questions and others just gave their five minute speeches and moved on. And um, some of them were wrong factually about some of the things they raised. And I won't get into that. But you're right. I think Hunter, uh, you, you know, you mentioned him. He knows if he does a public hearing, everyone's going to do five minute speeches trading between sides. And then he gets to walk out without giving an answer. So I hope the Republicans in that setting are going to actually ask questions like I, this is going to they're going to have to fight every fiber of their being to not grandstand and to actually like ask probing questions on the record. I sure hope he's being sworn in, by the way. Yeah, well, and that's well, my point is, if you go behind closed doors, a lot of that stuff drops away. It's not, you know, especially. Uh, but anyway, all right, back to the uh, back to this hearing. Um, we were talking, you and I, we were going back and forth uh, this week because uh, I've been kind of pounding away on the bicentennial, the Monroe Doctrine. Um, you know, the Monroe Doctrine, uh, John, I, I, I would I am arguing and have been talking a lot about how it it is a prioritizing thing, it, meaning actually it's America first. It says, look, in Europe, you're fighting amongst yourselves. We're not getting in that unless it's in our interest directly. And when it comes to the border right now, I don't know how this is not like the five alarm fire that our interests, both national security and domestic tranquility are at stake. I mean, who's resisting this? Well, happy birth, happy children's birthday to the Monroe Doctrine. Ed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's, it's funny because you called the Monroe Doctrine America first. I would call it even America's first. In the sense that we really get to focus on the hemisphere, we get to work with our local partners. We solve a lot of other problems regarding having to be dependent on a communist government like China. Um, and if we just focused on our our local neighbors, focused on a pretty powerful hemisphere in its own right, and work together, we could basically be the vanguard for security and prosperity for the 21st century. Uh, I think what you the reason the left wants an open border and the reason why they are resistant to the Monroe Doctrine. I mean, honestly, I don't think most liberals are smart enough to understand what the Monroe Doctrine actually says. They think it's some sort of weird paternalistic white man thing. It's not. It's just stay out of our hemisphere. Right. Um, but I think the reason the left wants the open border is because they don't view the immigration system as a process for a country to improve itself. They view the immigration system as a welfare program. Um, and it's not a welfare program. There's no other country in the world that is as, not only as generous as us, but as stupid as us in terms of protecting its own interests. So I think in a world where the Monroe Doctrine was well regarded and taken care of and you know enforced by all the countries of the hemisphere, everyone would honor each other's borders. Everyone would respect each other's borders. Oh, and by the way, in a world where we were working economically together, the poor countries in the Northern Triangle and elsewhere – They'll have booming economies. They'll actually be economic partners over the next hundred years. And we're not going to have people fleeing in their country in terror every day because they'll have jobs. Uh, by the way, you and I both know, but many people don't know, the left loves to make it sound as if every country is just this god-awful nightmare that is some sort of dictatorship. It's not. Um, but just because things aren't perfect there doesn't mean that you have an asylum right to the United States. And I think that's one of the hard facts the left cannot 
acknowledge, which yeah. is that just because you didn't like your job or the economy is not as strong or there's a little bit of crime in your neighborhood, that's not grounds for asylum. And so the left is really basically trying to push as many people from the rest of the world into the United States for a bunch of different reasons. We've talked about those before. Right. Open borders, though, cannot last. And in a world where the Monroe Doctrine is enforced, we wouldn't have a lot of these problems, in my opinion. Yeah. John Zadrozny is our guest. He is the uh, 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 at America First. He's a legal deputy director of oversight investigations. It's a great website, AF Legal, uh, by the way, dot org, AF Legal dot org, because especially some of the press releases, I was looking at the one from this testimony this week, the written testimony, which most of people, when they testify, you write it out. It may change a little when you get up there, but that's available. But I'm, I'm also looking at a press release, John. I want to talk to you about Macy's because you're, you're messing up Christmas for everybody. I'll get to that. But before I do that, I, I only have a few minutes. So I need to ask, answer this question uh, in maybe a minute. Who's a hero on the border in elected office? I know McCall had the hearing. That's good. We appreciate it. But who's a hero like can actually move the needle? Is it because I hear rumblings about deals between the House and Senate. And, the, you know, once there's a deal and there's a gang, I think, uh oh, who's a hero like a Massey on judiciary makes a really good points that sort of frees the debate. And there's, you know, uh, uh, is there somebody you say that guy or gal in, in office? in the House, maybe in the Senate, gets it and is is able to, I don't know, move the needle? Uh, honestly, there, there's really only one human being, in my opinion, in Congress who's really good at the moment and never gives up and is in the right place on substance, and that's Chip Roy. Hmm. Um, there are some good Republicans who are good on the issue, but none of them are going to lay down on the tracks to solve this. Um, and I know a lot of uh, members of Congress were instrumental in passing H.R. 2, and I do give credit to former Speaker McCarthy for that. Um but Chip Roy is the best. Okay. And honestly, okay. he is really the only one who is fighting tooth and nail. And he understands that um, everyone's going to cave. <laughs> so yeah. he just keeps fighting and embarrassing people and making sure that they're going to fight for the right thing. And right now, Ed, there's a situation where um, everyone's trying to convince uh, Speaker Johnson uh, to cave on including H.R. 2 with other right. legislative right. relief. And right. I think Chip is at the vanguard of making sure that doesn't happen. John Zdrozny, again, is our guest, aflegal.org. And Chip Roy, he, he came up and cut his teeth with Ted Cruz. And no matter what you think about Ted Cruz, whatever, he's a fighter, man. And he knows how to take his positions and, and fight. And, and he's really smart about it. Before Matt Gates, in my opinion, you had Ted Cruz and that with that. And I don't always agree with Ted and some of his team, but I, Chip Roy is coming up. All right, Matt, I mean, excuse me, uh, 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 John Zdrozny, America First Legal, a deputy director of oversight investigations, Macy's. You sued Macy's to try to ruin Christmas for everyone, but actually it's really good. I, I got it sent to me. Someone said to me just a few weeks ago because it turns out they they are discriminating tell us about this and how important it is and why i mean america first legal is only people not afraid to do this kind of thing because you, you know you're not supposed to do that if, if you follow the 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 woke uh trends so tell me about it yeah so ed we we basically initiated a ton of equal opportunity employment commissioner eeoc complaints over the last right. few months and this was just the latest salvo the reality is macy's has basically acknowledged it's engaged in uh illegal uh, quota hiring and training. And uh, the materials are pretty egregious. It basically says like they've got um, gender um, and ethnic quotas, that uh, hiring is based on that, that they're basically intending to have racial quotas in their management and that certain training programs are only open to non-white people. I mean, they basically say this stuff explicitly in public facing materials. And we also sent a letter to the Macy's board of directors saying, look, you've got a fiduciary duty to your shareholders to not violate federal law. <laughs> and so um, we're hoping we get some action on that front. You know, I'm not hoping for miracles in terms of what the EEOC will do because it's run by a really rough band of Marxists yeah. who don't care about the people. Right. <laughs> um, but we're, we're, we're making it awkward for them. And at least the companies have to deal with it in public. And look, you know, if you want to make a dent and prevent um, racial hiring and uh, violations of the Federal Civil Rights Act, don't shop at Macy's this Christmas season. Go somewhere else. 
Right. Well, and what, and I think, again, uh, John, thank you for coming on. AmericaFirstLegal.org is a website. Go look at this uh, uh, extensive press release on the filing you did. And it's they're just – if you want diversity, equity, inclusion stuff, you have to be racist. And so, you know, there's somebody calling it on Macy's and saying, hey, look, this is this is not acceptable. If you did it other ways, if you were if you were doing it against different groups, you'd be on the front page of The New York Times. And so we're not going to tolerate it. I think it's uh, I think it's part of showing not just the hypocrisy, but the ineffectiveness uh, of the effort. So, all right, John, yeah. I got to run. I got to run. I'm sorry. John Zadrozny, he's super AFLegal.org. I'll put it up on social media. Uh, quick break. Ed Martin, the ProMerica Report. Back in a minute. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. A lot of attention has been paid to election integrity in recent years and for justifiable reasons. However, stuffing the ballot box is not the only way the left tries to affect the outcome of important races. The Supreme Court sided with federal interference in the Alabama legislature twice in just four months by ordering or allowing the liberal judicial override of a redistricting plan passed by the Alabama legislature. This misuse of the Voting Rights Act obstructs a state legislature from exercising its constitutional authority to reformulate its congressional districts based on population changes. Some 15 years after Americans elected a black president and long after black congressmen and senators have been elected by majority white constituents, the U.S. Supreme Court is still falling for the liberal lie that whites won't elect a black representative. Liberals perpetuate this fiction to increase the number of Democrat-controlled congressional districts rather than to protect voting rights. Alabama already has one majority black congressional district out of seven. But liberals insist that an additional district be drawn based solely on race, even though the 14th Amendment stands against racial discrimination by the government of any state. Last June, the Supreme Court pontificated against universities for basing their admissions decisions in part on race. But that same month, the same Supreme Court held that a state legislature must redraw Alabama's congressional districts based on the race of its voting age population in order to create the highest possible number of majority black districts. Now they're making the same mistake yet again. This practice of redrawing political boundaries in order to get a desired political outcome, rather than conforming to the natural shape and character of the region, is a practice that's called gerrymandering. Conservatives who are concerned about leftist interference on our elections should pay great attention to the forces who would sooner have a district shaped like a rabbit on a skateboard than to give up a seat in Congress. The Supreme Court is wrong to indulge these blatantly political antics of the establishment left. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Can activist judges be stopped, or will they continue to overturn laws with no regard for the Constitution or the will of the people? Connect with us at phyllisschlafly.com to hear alerts on rulings made by never-elected supremacist judges and to share your viewpoint. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back here to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height stepping in here at the end of the show. Going to fill in real quick, lead us out of the program today on behalf of Ed, and uh, we will uh, dive right in. I got actually, uh, well, first of all, thank you for being with us. This is a great show. Two great guests I was really excited about and I was not disappointed by. Uh, and let me uh, remind you, you liked those guests. You want to send them on to your uh, friends and family and coworkers and all the contacts that you have, your sphere of influence. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. You will find the archives of of all of our podcasts, all of our standalone segments, the individual guests. You can also find all of the links to their books and writings and the topics that they're talking about. You'll also be able to sign up for the email list, which brings the wink, brings the what you need to know into your inbox every morning, along with a very few links that are going to be pertinent to your day. Uh, go over there, ProAmericaReport.com and sign up. But uh, let's let's wrap it up here. I wanted to bring something up that was actually brought to my attention. I saw that the tweet had uh, come out from uh, Joe Biden, not the uh, POTUS account, the Joe Biden account. So I guess this is the private one, the campaign one, not the government one, supposedly. Uh, But uh, this tweet from Joe Biden has absolutely taken off. Uh, This is uh, just a few hours old at this point. uh, And this let let, let me just let me read the tweet to just not leave any room for error. And then we're going to address this because it has just gone uh, bonkers with many more millions of metrics and thousands of replies and thousands of retweets. And they they are not all positive. In fact, most of them are not positive. It's fairly funny. Uh, This tweet actually has a community note, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. Joe Biden tweets a few hours ago. Let me be clear. I'm not going to bother trying to do the Joe Biden voice. I'm not very good at it. Uh, Although I'm better than that than the Trump voice. But I digress. Let me be clear, Joe Biden says on Twitter, or whoever's writing for Joe Biden says on Twitter, let me be clear to any corporation that hasn't brought their prices back down, even as inflation has come down, it's time to stop the price gouging. Give American consumers a break. Well, Joe, you got to give me a break, man. In the famous words of, you know, yourself, come on, give me a break. Give me a break. Inflation has gone down and now it's company's fault that the prices are so high. Ha! That's hilarious. In fact, it's so hilarious and outlandish and outrageous that Twitter had to even add a community note that noted as long as inflation rate is positive, prices are increasing. The fact that inflation has come down to 3.2% and then in my parentheses, supposedly 3.2%, allegedly, uh, means that prices are still going up, albeit at a slower rate than before. Now, that's just a big fat duh. Like, we, we all know this. The political pie Posturing's not even smooth or or like cool and collected. This is pretty basic stuff. However, the the litany of replies and retweets and quote tweets is absolutely astronomically funny. As people remind us all that the seven to nine percent inflation rate that keeps uh, was being quoted was a total load of hooey, and this reduction to three point two percent, not only on face value, not being you know exactly down, is also a total load of hooey. Anyone out there who's been uh, paying for gas, paying for groceries, paying for cost of living, paying for uh, their their insurance bills, homeowners insurance, their real estate taxes, their auto insurance, all of those things are astronomically through the roof. I wish that we had single-digit inflation on any of those things, but the fact is, it is more like 50 to 100% across the board. That's the reality. And the prices aren't coming back down because the economic situation is no better. This is a load of garbage. 
Bush. And and this is one of those things that it, it, it just kind of baffles me that something like this can take off so much and people respond to it negatively. And yet there are not protests across the country to remove him from office, to have him resign in disgrace or be impeached and removed from office for dereliction of duty, uh, even destroying the economy. I mean, if, if people feel so strongly about it, I'm not, don't, I'm not advocating any of these things. Hear, hear me this. I'm not saying advocating these specifically as a strategy to do or what to go and do. But if people feel so strongly as to respond and, and have such a backlash to this tweet, then where is it the rest of the time? I, I want to know that because I know that all of the time we are all the American citizens, at least the average working people, we are being crushed by absolutely mammoth inflation and the insult to injury is these ridiculous numbers that they publish as if it meant something it's hooey absolute hooey and it, it just yeah it, it, it i don't have a whole lot to say it's just i'm getting worked up i gotta bring myself back down okay so we're gonna try to do that i'm bringing myself back down i heard a really staggering statistic i actually went and looked it up it turns out it is uh, true by a lot of accounts um and and as by the way as a cross-pollination ed uh was on the steak for breakfast podcast go look them up it's a fun bunch of guys he was over there talking about uh, his work with the j6 crowd the january 6th uh, patriot freedom project but one of the things they said i had to go look it up and it turns out they're right uh, it, and i'm going to soft quote the numbers here because i don't want to misquote somewhere in the neighborhood of i think it's a uh, 60 something percent of americans are using 70 percent of their monthly income to cover housing transportation and basic necessities like food think about that well more than half of america is using 70 percent of their monthly income just to cover housing transportation and food and basic necessities this is incredible we are absolutely on the brink of economic disaster. I, and when I say on the brink, frankly, I feel like we're free falling off the cliff for a lot of people. But we got to turn this around and it can't just be a big reaction to one tweet. We have got to understand these people are lying to us and then we have to say so and make sure everyone else sees it and knows it too. Infl- the emperor has no clothes and inflation is certainly not at 3.2%. Let's be abundantly clear. So let's take that away from this. Uh, maybe that's an action item. Maybe it's just a wrap up. Uh, but there you go. I wanted to make sure that you, I brought that to your attention and we also made a big, uh, a big sweeping point on it that needs to be made. Uh, something we should all be mad about and doing something about. But we'll end it there. Thank you for being with us today on the Pro-America Report. Thank you for being around. Thank you to Ed for leading the show, for a couple of great guests there, for our guests for joining us. Thank you to Mason, my co-producer, for helping me keep all the things on time each and every day. And thank you to you for listening. It was a great show today. We look forward to the next one tomorrow. Go to ProAmericaReport.com to catch all of the podcasts. And we will see you right back here tomorrow on the Pro-America Report. Have a good night, everybody.